welcome to the Utah Women in Leadership podcast series. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah State University. I'm hosting this podcast in partnership with Utah Public Radio, USU Extension, and the John M. Huntsman School of Business. Today, I'll be sharing some of the research we have found that focuses on how understanding gender differences can actually help us raise girls and boys, for that matter, to be more confident and competent. And as I've said in the other Understanding Gender episodes, I believe that each of us, whether we're a parent or not or neighbor or whatever, can help raise girls and boys around us, no matter what the setting In this episode, I'll be discussing research around more of the differences between boys and girls, men and women, in terms of three areas, risk, confidence, and empathy. Now let's dig in and talk about risk. Studies have shown that gender is one of the fundamental variables in understanding the phenomenon of risk and aggression in youth, and this transfers to understanding the same in adults as well. So studies have shown that girls are often less likely to take certain types of risks than boys are. And this can be a problem since some risk-taking is healthy. Of course, there are girls who do take risks, but on average, girls need to be encouraged to seek out less secure situations. Androgens, particularly testosterone, have an impact on how much risk someone is willing to take. Now, what motivates girls to take risks is very different from what motivates boys. Girls generally take risks for their own benefit or to challenge themselves. One group of researchers studied how mothers and fathers socialize their daughters. In this study, fathers of sons encouraged boys to take risks, but fathers of daughters tended to watch and protect their daughters and help them avoid risks. Interestingly, mothers of daughters and mothers of sons were pretty much the same in how they treated their kids, whether they were daughters or sons. Of course, many researchers have found that we socialize girls to take fewer risks. And in addition, as we all know, girls are being less influenced by androgens than their male peers. One study found that two-year-old girls asked for help three times more than boys. These researchers also found that if a parent had a child who took fewer risks on average, they monitored their child even more. Many studies have found that boys take more risks on average than girls. Remember the hunter-gatherer scenario in an earlier episode? According to the evolutionary theory, males adapted into hunter roles and evolved to produce more androgen testosterone just for that purpose. And in many faith traditions, they believe that men and women were created differently so they would have different strengths in caring for and protecting their families and communities. So think of the toddler boy who wants to climb and jump or physically play. We learned from research I cited a minute ago that fathers of daughters were highly protective of their daughters and fathers of sons encouraged their sons to take more risks and applied more pressure on their kids to take risks. This is an example of how we, and most of the time I think it's unconscious, take biological predisposition and then add a social or cultural element. So back to the nature and nurture. In Dr. Sack's book, Why Gender Matters, he states, Bias towards risk-taking in males in the majority of cultural programming may be partly due to blame for boys' overestimation of their abilities. 
So because boys engage in more physical risk-taking than girls, consequently, they have more unintended injuries. Believe it or not, this risky behavior actually contributes to more boys dying of injury than girls overall. In fact, more boys die from unintentional injuries than all other childhood maladies combined. I thought that research was fascinating. Now, for those who joined me in the last episode, I'm going to go back to the monkey studies. Researchers in one study found that male monkeys do wild and crazy things just like boys. These differences appear to be instinctive. Male monkeys have not been influenced by watching action movies. Although I do believe that, just just like other things, nature and nurture together amplify nearly everything. Now, although the ratio of females to male monkeys is approximately one to one at birth, by adulthood, there are as many as five females for every one surviving male monkey. Now, back to humans. We can imagine the advantage of fathers making a shift in their parenting to encourage their daughters to take more risks and to be a little more careful with their sons. Taking risks doesn't always relate to physical injury. Boys also feel that they need to impress their peers in different ways than girls do. Psychologist David Miller and James Barnes demonstrated this effect with third, fifth, and seventh graders who participated in a ring toss study. This is great. Each participant was shown into a room and asked to throw six rings onto a one-foot pole standing upright on the floor. Now, all the participants needed to do was to toss the rings onto the pole. The participant could stand anywhere they wanted to on the floor, but the floor was marked in various places away from the target. The participant was then left alone in the room to complete the task. Most girls would stand one or two feet away from the target and then throw the rings. Most boys would stand five or six feet away from the pole and then throw the rings. In the final phase of the study, same-sex peers were brought into the room. Girls did not change their behavior with another girl in the room. However, boys backed up even further to show off their ability to their male peers. Repeated studies have shown this behavior is similar in most boys. They want to be daring and willing to take risks because it improves their status with their peers. Psychologists call this the, quote, risky shift. Boys produce more androgens than girls, and the quantity of androgens produced has been directly correlated to the amount of risk a person is willing to take. Accordingly, a boy is much more likely to do something dangerous when he is with a group of boys than when he is by himself. Why? Risky activity generates an excitement or adrenaline rush in boys specifically related to hormones. As you can imagine, a group of boys taking the same or having the same experience relates to individual and group pressure to act on risky impulses. Now, do you remember the continuum discussion from two episodes ago? Some boys have more androgens than other boys and the same with girls. So all boys and all girls are not exactly the same. So why does risk matter? What are the consequences in boys and girls by their willingness to take risks? We can gain some insights from a 2020 study on female and male 
teenage students and their behavior while performing on the game show Jeopardy. The study organizers wanted to determine if there are gender differences in young people's performance in a competitive setting and in their risk-taking behaviors. So researchers found no gender differences predicting whether females or males won by episode, nor were there any gender differences in how males and females responded correctly to clues. However, it did show that young men wagered substantially more than their female peers. Now, taking more risk can advantage young men in this game. How about taking the same element and translating it into adulthood? Could this difference translate into gender differences in earning and healthy risk-taking in careers? Most of us are aware of these studies, that the studies that have been done comparing the starting salary of females and males graduating with the same degrees. Studies have found that men report about an 8% higher starting salary than females, and that only 7% of women even ask for higher salary compared to 70 or 57% of men. So 7% in women, 57% of men ask for higher salary. We can thus see how, how this willingness to take risks as children and teenagers in competitive settings could relate to the wage gender gap males and females experience later in their professional lives. Now, I do need to say that um, there's that nature and nurture piece, and the gender way or page gap is complex. When women do negotiate, they break gender norms, so people judge them more harshly, too. So have a lot more information on that on our website. One psychologist interviewed children ages 6 through 10 to research how boys and girls viewed risk. She found that boys who were injured because of the risk they took were more likely to attribute the injury to bad luck rather than lack of skill, and they were less likely to tell their parents they'd been hurt. As we discussed, a boy is more likely to do something dangerous when he is with a group of other boys or friends than he is by himself. If boys are in a group, they're more likely to be injured. Now a few thoughts about girls. How can we help girls understand the benefits of taking healthy risks? Now, how can we actually encourage them to branch out of their comfort zones? We can begin by encouraging girls to try new things and by being mindful about how much we shield them and when, you know, specifically when they do take a chance. There is an all-girls school in Iceland that begins cultivating healthy risk-taking in kindergarten by creating opportunities for girls to go outside of their comfort zones in positive ways. The teachers start by having the girls do simple exercises such as jumping off a table onto a pile of mattresses and screaming as they go. At first, most of the girls are shy and timid and they will jump, but they don't want to scream. But by the end of the exercise, every girl wanted to jump from even higher levels and scream at the top of their lungs. As the students progress through school, they were tasked to create daring challenges. The more they were encouraged, the more they were willing to push their limits. According to researchers, these safe structures for taking risks cultivated resilience in girls. Studies have also shown that if a girl takes risks and fails, she may end up being more risk adverse, not less, since she is already likely to have been socialized to be more reserved than male peers. 
But the more girls succeed, the more they are even more willing to try new things. And subsequently, they develop a sense of their own capabilities. So like the teachers in Iceland, we can encourage girls to find their voice and take appropriate risks. If you need to encourage girls, start with something your daughter or student knows they can do, and then gradually let them stretch their abilities. Confidence will build as girls understand their abilities and realize how the benefits of risk-taking can actually empower and support them. Now let's focus on confidence in females. We've been talking about that, but I have a section on this that I think is fascinating. Once girls hit puberty, which is younger than it used to be, unfortunately, researchers have found that there is a decline in their sense of self, decline in their use of voice, and sometimes even they lose some of their resilience and their ability to cope with depression. Studies have been done to learn why, and fortunately, we do have some answers, but there's still a lot we don't understand. Girls are now facing pressures of over-sexualization, pressures to please others in dating and other relationships, and pressures to conform to particular female body images. Girls need to build resilience to deal with these challenges. We have learned that risk-taking and social media can impact girls' confidence. Remember the school in Iceland where girls benefited building up their confidence to take new risks? Eventually, after repeated efforts and trying and failing, the girls' confidence and self-esteem did improve. There's another girls' schools I've read about that also works on confidence related to building more innovation and creativity in girls, and this one happens to be in Australia. When girls are in ninth grade, every girl is required to spend the school year at the school's facility in a remote area uh, north of Melbourne. This year is called a year of rugged hikes, and the girls live in cabins, and every girl participates. One class at a time learns how to rappel down a cliff, and by the end of the session, every girl has accomplished this daring feat. In these exercises, each girl learns that she is capable, and she finds her voice and establishes confidence in her ability to overcome even the most frightening of tasks. Encouraging girls to take risks helps them find their voice, Honestly, there are many creative and innovative ways to do this. I don't think every girl needs to repel, but there's many ways to do this. As we've already talked about in past episodes, there are many things that negatively impact a female's self-confidence from social media and movies and magazines and television, which spreads unrealistic beauty ideals, distorted body image, body dissatisfaction, and disordered eating attitudes. Over the past decade, mental health problems have increased among young people. And the things I just mentioned are tied to a distortion of body image. These studies suggest that media's sexual objectification of women has slowly shaped women's self-perception and eroded their self-confidence. So I guess the question we need to think about is how can we build girls' self-confidence when there really is an onslaught coming at them from so many directions? What we do know, however, is that there are many things that we can do to help girls strengthen their self-confidence really in healthy and happy ways, like helping them develop a growth mindset, breaking rumination cycles, decreasing their reliance on praise, focusing on we instead of just me, learning how to fail and then rebound, embracing struggles, taking risks, and decreasing pointless perfection. 
since the Utah Women in Leadership Project has so many resources on this topic already, I won't talk much more about it here, but check out our website, utwomen.org, for more information. And lastly, I want to say a few things about empathy in boys and men. In an earlier episode, we learned about the possible differences in the capacity for empathy between females and males. There are biological factors that impact empathy, but there are also cultural expectations about the way we relate to others beginning in childhood. So video games could possibly desensitize young people. And statistically, as we know, that boys particularly play you know, more video games. As girls and boys mature, social constructs and social expectations become more prevalent. Many studies suggest that as adolescents' bodies mature, the socialization around gender roles and behaviors are strengthened, which results in increased adherence to gender stereotypical behavior. Boys are stereotypically encouraged, even subtly, not to show empathy, to man up, or that men don't cry. Testosterone levels in boys dramatically increased during puberty, and high levels of testosterone have been found to accompany behavior that leans towards dominance and power. One study found that empathy steadily increases for girls after puberty, but empathy in boys actually dips for several years and then increases again around 15 years of age. For boys, this loss of empathy during adolescence correlates with the increase in testosterone. Boys, of course, physically mature at different rates, and one study found that the boys who matured the fastest had lower empathy levels. Although boys can be mentally equipped to respond compassionately to life's complexities, the other element of this study found that their ability to sympathize was influenced by motivation as well as their cognitive ability. There is significant research that confirms that gender role expectations might play a role in why and how much boys are empathetic. Now, boys who are more mature are likely to respond to strong stereotypical masculine behavior, which could inhibit empathy. Meanwhile, boys who are not maturing as quickly may not be held to these stereotypical norms. So how can we help boys understand empathy and its benefits? Reading has been proven to help children learn, understand, and develop strong study skills. Reading is also a way that we can teach children about empathy and compassion, even increase their capacity for both, at least according to researchers. One scholar researched how children's storybooks can impact empathy. She found that reading books can support empathy if it fosters three things. First, if it was what she called friend identification and minimize the bias of unconnected friends. Second, if it identified characters the reader was not familiar with and the reader had to learn cognitive empathy. And third, if the children's storybooks offered an opportunity to build empathy from fictional narratives. Children's books can also provide an excellent tool to help children understand others' experiences. Children's stories can teach things like expression and language, problem-solving and communication. Another key component of children's literature is the ability to see oneself in someone else's shoes. Children usually start seeing other people around them about the age of three or four. This is a critical step in child development because it allows children to understand their world and how they and others relate to it. 
Of course, teens and young adults can benefit in similar ways as well. Maybe more stories about race and ethnicity could help students learn compassion and empathy for people of color and for people in different countries, maybe with different customs and different experiences. Empathy is a verb. It's an action word. I believe empathy is an essential quality we must all possess. It comes naturally to some of us and others need to learn how to practice empathy. Some boys fall into that category and need to be encouraged to work through traditionally masculine norms. Showing empathy will reduce aggression, increase understanding, improve perspective, create emotional intelligence, and build character. Let's help boys and men develop more empathy and maybe girls and women develop more confidence. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast series hosted by the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah State University in partnership with Utah Public Radio, USU Extension, and the John M. Huntsman School of Business. Our core mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. To learn more about our research, resources, and events, please visit us at utwomen.org. Thank you.